Much of our innovation over the last two decades is tied back to smartphones. But 3G networks were just as critical in our mobile revolution, along with a 4G leap several years later. Now we're on the precipice of the next big shift. But can 5G live up to all the hype? I'm Alex Yule, and today on The Readback, Barron's Nicholas Jasinski joins us to discuss the next wave of wireless innovation. Hey, Nick. Hey, Alex. I wanted to tell you a little story to start, which is I remember when I got my iPhone 3G, I think I waited online like everyone else to get it on the first day. This was probably 2008. And that first night I had it, I took it to a concert I was going to in Prospect Park in Brooklyn. So I was sitting in this open field and I had this thing in my hands. And it was just one of those moments that I'll never forget because it was so game changing, not just because of the cool iPhone I had in my hand, but because it now connected to this new 3G network, which basically meant I was sitting in a park and I could do the same things at the same speeds that I was able to do on my home network, just completely untethered. And it was a remarkable thing that that I really still think about. So we've since had 4G, which promised even faster speeds. We've had businesses built on 4G. And now we're about to get 5G. And everyone's starting to talk about this. And sure enough, there's supposed to be a 5G iPhone coming out later this year. Where are we? And is 5G going to be as big a deal for people like me and for everyone else that 3G was and that 4G was to some degree? So I would say yes and no. It's definitely going to be a long transition. Part of that has to do with just how 5G networks are designed and built. It's just going to take some time to build the infrastructure. And these networks really are going to coexist with the existing 4G networks for a long time. In the long term, 5G could totally replace wired networks for consumers and a lot of businesses. It could power things like the industrial Internet of Things with factories buzzing with connected robots and other machinery, all without any wires. Smart cities where all the stoplights and parking meters are all wirelessly hooked up. For consumers, the benefits are going to be much more incremental on what you already have, but pretty big jumps in speed. Um, and performance in high-density areas, places where your 4G network really can sometimes fail you today. All right, but Verizon's out there and AT&T are out there like really talking up 5G today. I mean, Verizon says it will change everything. AT&T says it is, that's present tense, is transforming the future. So where are we on the timeline right now? And and why do you kind of suggest that things are are a little bit more complicated than maybe the wireless carriers say? Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile have all begun to roll out 5G in markets across the U.S. And AT&T, for example, plans to have a nationwide network by the end of the summer. But the fact is that the way that the networks are designed requires a lot more antennas, and all the carriers are doing this without huge increases in their capital investment budgets. So it's going to take a long, long time for these networks to really become ubiquitous and deliver the full promise of the high speed, low latency that they are designed around. Okay, so the future is still a ways off. Tell us a little bit more about the technicalities of this. I mean, I don't want to get too geeky here, but explain to us why 5G is so complicated. Why is the rollout going to take time? There are two main ways that 5G improves on 4G. One is in the hardware, the technology, and the antennas, both in the network and in your phones. But the other is in its use of spectrum, wireless spectrum, which When telecom companies talk about spectrum, what they're talking about is the portion of radio frequencies that they use to communicate from their antennas to the devices on their networks. So the airwaves, basically. The airwaves. And so what 5G does is it uses a much broader range of spectrum than what 4G or previous generations have used. 
especially in much higher frequencies, which can transmit more data faster and with greater capacity because of how broad the pipe is. But there's a downside to that higher frequency too. Right, and that's that it doesn't travel as far from the antenna as lower frequency spectrum does. So what that means is that you need a much denser arrangement of antennas. For example, for what's called low band, which um, is what 3G and, and 4G are mainly built on, you can have a range of multiple miles from a tower. With the highest frequency ranges used in 5G, something called millimeter wave, it could be as low as just a few city blocks. So basically, the carriers are still just building out all of these cells. So even if the technology is there now, the real estate of towers isn't yet sort of filling the airwaves. That's right. And a lot of the early 5G rollout that you're going to be hearing so much about this year, so for example, AT&T's nationwide network, that's built on low band and mid band spectrum, which is technically 5G. It uses the new technologies. It meets the standards of 5G, but it's not going to deliver the full benefits of speed, low latency, high performance in, in crowded areas that 5G on those higher frequency bands will provide. So that's really interesting because, you know, certainly the carriers are promoting this. Certainly a lot of us come to 5G with the experiences I just talked about with, you know, how, how cool 3G and 4G were. It seems to me like they're going to be some disappointed customers if they sign up for 5G and expect the world to change. Yeah, customers will need to be patient. And all the carriers have said that the coronavirus crisis has not impacted their rollout plans at all. There are some maybe differences on the margins. Some say that it's actually easier to build these networks now because the streets are empty. It's easier to dig the fiber optic cable that goes to the antennas and so on. But the coronavirus seems to, at least on the consumer side, maybe slow adoption. The big release that everybody is keeping their eye on is the iPhone lineup this fall, which Apple never comments on upcoming products, but it's widely forecasted to include at least one 5G model. But Will consumers really be willing to spend, let's be honest, over $1,000 on a new phone, maybe have to pay more per month to their Verizon or AT&T account to get 5G when the benefits for consumers really are you get faster download speeds when you're on the go, when you're commuting, you get better performance in places like airports or stadiums. That sort of misses the moment in, in this coronavirus work from home period that we're in. Yeah, that's what makes it so interesting to be talking about 5G right now, because there was a moment a few months ago, and it even sounds kind of prissy now to talk about it, but where 4G f just failed, be it those stadiums you talked about or airports, crowded spaces, even sort of my commuter train, 4G didn't work well. And that was the big thing and, and why carriers were pushing for 5G. Well, right now, all of those places we mentioned are completely empty. So I guess you know, it's worth thinking more to the future about the 5G opportunity. One thing that's interesting about 5G is the networks won't all be created equal. So walk us through how the carriers are thinking about their strategies and, and what that could even mean for consumers in the not too distant future. Verizon has bet big on those highest frequency spectrum bands, which are called millimeter wave. And that's most economically viable in dense urban areas where you can have those antennas every few blocks and it still pays off because you have enough people on those networks. What it also allows Verizon to do is to offer 5G home internet, which is they mail you an antenna that you put on your window and they connect it to that router and you have home internet like you would get from Comcast or Charter or whoever else, but it comes over the waves from Verizon's 5G antenna. And they're the only U.S. carrier that's currently offering 5G home internet. So Verizon really sees a day where it wants to just completely replace 
these wired home networks? I mean, that seems pretty disruptive. Certainly, but that's going to be a, a long way out. Okay. And what about AT&T and T-Mobile? T-Mobile, which obviously just merged with Sprint last month, they actually now have the, the largest portfolio of mid-band spectrum. And that's really in the, the Goldilocks zone for, for 5G, that it allows much greater capacity, but still has a good trade-off with distance from its antenna. And that was really a key motivator for their acquisition of Sprint, was to get access to their mid-band portfolio. So right now, it's going to take them three years to merge those networks and really get that whole spectrum portfolio up and running. But they seem to have an advantage given the existing spectrum portfolio that they have, and they're really focused on the mobile phone applications for 5G. So for a long time, T-Mobile has sort of been the low-cost carrier. Are you telling me that at some point in the near future, they might actually be able to compete on kind of like, we have the best network? For a lot of consumers in a lot of areas, that may be the case. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and Verizon has small cells at the end of your block, probably not. But if you're in the suburbs somewhere or in a lot of other places in America where it's not dense enough to build those small cells right away, T-Mobile might give you a better service, at least in the next few years. And then there's AT&T. From a spectrum perspective, AT&T is somewhere between Verizon and T-Mobile. Their nationwide network this summer is going to be mostly built on mid-band and low-band, and in urban areas and some stadiums, some college campuses and the like, they're rolling out their millimeter wave network, which their branding is 5G+. And they're really, they're focused much more on enterprise applications at the start. So they're working with big corporate customers to do things like shift their wired network all to AT&T's 5G and then upsell them on other services that AT&T offers. Got it. It's a little bit tough to have a big debate about the future of 5G because really we don't know the applications and the platforms that are going to be created on top of 5G, right? I mean, that's sort of how it's worked in the past too. It's like, it looks great and it's amazing in hindsight, but we don't necessarily know where this is going to lead us. You're absolutely right. I have faith in human ingenuity to come up with the next great applications that are enabled by this lightning fast speed, low latency that 5G networks promise. But same with 4G. Not all of the most promising and and impactful uses of 4G were obvious before the networks were invented and rolled out. Things like Uber wouldn't have had the same success on a 3G system as it has on 4G. Instagram, all these things that use that faster connectivity to your smartphone. Right. I mean, the improving cameras in our smartphones have certainly been very important for things like Snap and Instagram, but you got to put just as much of the credit probably on the improving networks. Absolutely. The The problem, though, for the likes of AT&T and Verizon is that a lot of the value created by things like Uber and Instagram didn't really go to the carriers. It went to the folks over in Silicon Valley. Yeah, that's super interesting. And you get to that in your story. Let's talk a little bit more about that, because for investors, that makes kind of the 5G thing hard to, to understand and hard to sort of invest around. How should investors be thinking about 5G now if, if they want to kind of put some money to work around the theme? So in the near term, at least, what we've argued in Barron's is that the best way to play the 5G rush today is sort of like when there's a gold rush, you want to invest in the people selling the pickaxes and the shovels. And that's companies like Nokia and Ericsson, which make the technology that sits in the network on the towers that power 5G, because that's where the carriers are investing right now, not just in the US, but around the world. There are other companies that are real estate investment trusts that own thousands and tens of thousands of cell towers. And essentially what they do is they lease 
space by the square foot and by weight on these towers that when a carrier is building out their 5G network and adding antennas, they benefit because they already have the towers, they just are renting more space on them. Often on one tower, they have multiple tenants. The marginal profits of a, adding one more lease to an antenna that's already there is, I mean, it's as close to 100% as, as you can get. So there are big names there like American Tower, Crown Castle International, SBA Communications. Okay. And, and what else? Are there other investment opportunities there? I mean, you haven't mentioned the carriers, interestingly. So in terms of the carriers, customers have shown that they're not really willing to pay more for more data. Data usage per line has skyrocketed over the last decade, but the actual revenue that a wireless company in the U.S. gets from each of their customers has gone down. Of course, the cost of delivering a megabyte of data to a customer has gone down as well, but it's hard to see that customers will be willing to pay an extra $10 a month or something like that for a 5G connection when they upgrade from 4G. What you're telling us is that everyone's demand for more and more data, uh, which, which seems so obvious in how we use our phones today, hasn't actually been the greatest business for the actual wireless carrier. It's made us all more dependable on our phones, but it hasn't meant that we're paying more for our service every month. Okay, gotcha. So what else is there in the world of 5G investments? In your story, you mentioned some of the companies that make the chips for 5G-capable devices. Right, so the big players there are Qualcomm, Corvo, Skywork Solutions, and they all make the little bits of your phone that communicate with the network. Qualcomm also makes the modem, which they're way ahead on 5G modem technology compared to anybody else. So much so that Apple, which had a multi-year legal dispute and was withholding billions of dollars in licensing from Qualcomm, they settled with Qualcomm so that they could get their 5G modem in their new iPhones. Okay, so Qualcomm is in a very important place right now. It is. And it seems that they're poised to increase their share in radio frequency antennas and phones as well. Well, Nick, that's some good options to keep investors kind of busy on the 5G front while they wait for the actual technology to play out. I mean, it's sounding like I'm going to have to wait a while for my next iPhone moment, but we will have you back on and we'll keep paying attention to this. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Alex. To read Nick's reporting on 5G, check out the latest issue of Barron's and, as always, Barron's.com. I'm Alex Yule. The Readback is produced by Meta Litzhoft and Katie Ferguson. We'll be back next week. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.